on there, sir? All right. Hey, uh, open your Bibles to, we're going to start in John chapter 1 this morning. Good to be in the presence of a great God, amen? How great thou art. How great thou art, O Lord. been a couple of things we've been uh, focusing on just off and on here and, and one of them is uh, uh, the idea of grace and so I'm going to kind of talk a little bit about grace but in relation to changing your spiritual family tree. So last week we kind of referenced a story where I, we were talking about something else. We mentioned the story of Abraham and Isaac and how they kept messing up in the same areas. And so what they what they really needed was they were God was at work in their lives, but there were still things that needed to be removed from their spiritual family tree. So I want that's that's where we're going today, and uh, we'll see how long it, it takes to get there. Hopefully, hopefully not past lunch for you, but. Uh, <laughs> Shouldn't be. Um, John chapter 1, but we're going to start with grace because the ability, the power to change your spiritual heritage from this point on comes from the grace of God. It's, it's only the grace of God. It's not our works. It's not, it's not us doing something better. It's not our performance. Thank the Lord. It's not how good we are at something. It's first and foremost His grace and us learning to live and receive and tap into that grace. So I want us to go to John chapter 1. Holy Spirit, we just invite you to open the Word of God, even as we're reading it. Speak things to every heart today in Jesus' name. This is verse 16 of John chapter 1. From the fullness of His grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses... Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made Him known. So I want us to go back to verse 16 and focus on that. And it says, from, from His fullness, basically, literally, it says, from His fullness, He has given us grace upon grace. Now see, here's the thing about God. Normally, when you have a cup that's full, if you take a little bit out of it, it's no longer full, right? But it's different with God. God is the only one where He can be full and pour out, every, pour out a bunch and He's still full. So think about God's grace as the fullness in Himself. He says, I'm going to give you grace upon grace. Grace upon grace. Favor upon favor. Strength upon strength. All that comes, all that's the grace of God. The grace of God is not primarily covering our sins, although it does. The grace of God covers, but it also empowers us. It equips us. It fills us. It, it gives us the grace, the strength to move forward. So we need the grace of God. And he says it's from his fullness. Can you think about how full God is of grace? How full is he? He's full. 
God is full. He's not run out. He's not running out of grace. He's not used it up. He doesn't have it, you know, set aside for somebody else. It's, it's not, you know, there's no favoritism with His grace. It's all based upon Jesus. That way there's no favoritism. The grace of God to God's children is all based upon one Son, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And He says, hey, because of the Son, you as sons and daughters receive from my fullness grace upon grace. And one of the ways that grace works in our lives is bringing us out of where we were in the past. You know, when God saves us, uh, everything is not immediately removed from our lives. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that in your spouse? <laughs> Don't say that. Don't say amen to that if you're sitting next to him. You know, I mean, there's, it doesn't matter. If you notice that in your kids, your kid gets saved and you're like, man, hopefully this will change, right? <laughs> and then there's still some things that are getting worked out in them, right? You're like... Do you need to get saved again? No, you don't need to get saved again. <laughs> you only have to get saved once, okay? You don't need to get saved again. They just need to continue to have grace upon grace. You know, I've, I've had grace for yesterday, but I need the upon grace for today. Because I can't rely on what, what was. I'm relying on what is. And when I'm relying on what is, I walk into what is to come. Grace upon grace. Grace. One of the ways that it, it happens, as I said, is, is you begin to change. You begin to be delivered from your, your heritage of your family. And last week as we read this, I was kind of sparked in it. So I want us to go to Genesis 26 and just look at this example. This is the example of Abraham and his family line and how there were things, even though he was believing God, he was following God, he was walking with God, he was the favored one of God, there were some things that kept kind of being problems, we'll say, in his family. So uh, Genesis chapter 12, did I tell you that? Genesis chapter 12 and verse 10. This is the first count. Abraham has just gotten the promise, uh, has just gotten called and promised the promised land. So God has just appeared to him and says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. You're going to have this land. You're going to have all this stuff. And so he follows God. He says, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to trust you. I, don't, I didn't know who you were before, but now I do, and I'm going to follow you. Because Abraham, was, Abraham what, didn't grow up in a Christian household. Just FYI. There, there was nobody around that was following God. It was out of nowhere. It was like God appears to him and says, I'm God. And he says, you're right. <laughs> I'm, going to go, I'm going to go with you. All this other stuff I've been seeing, not God. So he follows him, and so he, he begins to travel and begins to go towards the promised land. He begins to, you know, set his sights and explore and, and see. And so there's a famine in the land. So verse 10, it says, there was a famine in the land. There's no food. And Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was, was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. That's always good to say to your wife. Just leave off the next part. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they'll kill me and will let you live. Say you're my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that she was a very beautiful woman. He was right. And when the Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And she was taken into his palace. 
He treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, men servants, maid servants, and camels. So he was he gave him a lot of a lot of money, basically. A lot of, that would have been wealth at that time. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife Sarai. You get the idea. Pharaoh didn't just bring her in to like, you know, say hi. You, you understand that? Are we all adults here? <laughs> he, he brought her in for a different purpose. Like he was in, in, in his household. So he begins to see the curse of, of his sin. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me? He said, why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here's your wife, take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. So there's the first account of Abram lying to save his own, you know, because of fear. You know, he he lies and he says, I'm afraid. And so because he's afraid, he says, well, let's just lie and say you're my sister. I don't want something bad to happen to you or us. And uh, isn't it interesting that Abram sinned and then, then... God didn't punish Abram for his sin. Pharaoh was the one that got punished. And he didn't know. I mean, can you imagine how how powerful the favor and grace of God was upon Abram? That even though he was performing badly, God was still blessing him? That's grace right there, people. That's New Testament grace. It's not based on my performance. It's not based on how well I'm doing. It's based on how well Jesus did. So, hopefully Abram learns his lesson, right? Nope. Some of you know, you've read your Bibles before. You've read at least Genesis, right? You start in Genesis and you go and then you... (laughs) So, Genesis chapter 20. So this is, Abram has his name changed to Abraham. God has appeared to him again in his older age and said, Hey, I didn't forget you. I still promise that you're going to have a son. You're going to have children that are going to be descendants and they're going to be from your own. He tried to do it on his own. There's the whole Ishmael thing. We won't go into that this morning. But in chapter 20, it says, Now Abram moved on from there into the region of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. For a while he stayed in Gerar. And there Abram said of his wife Sarah, She is my sister. There it is again. Then Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. Sarah was obviously, you know, she caught many men's eyes. Let's just say it that way. Okay, she was very attractive. Uh, whatever that meant at that time changes throughout the years, doesn't it? But God came to Abimelech in a dream. Here's the mercy of God right here. This is the mercy of God upon Abimelech. And said to him, you are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken. She's a married woman. Now Abimelech had not gone near her yet, so he said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Did he not say to me, she's my sister? Didn't she also say, he's my brother? So she was in on it too. Notice it wasn't just Abraham now. It was Sarah. I have done this with a clear conscience and clean hands. Verse 6, then God said to him in the dream. Don't you love it? He's having a conversation with God in his dream. Isn't that cool? Yes, I know you did this with a clear conscience, and so I have kept you from sinning against me. There's the mercy of God on Abimelech right there. He is keeping him so he didn't do something wrong, even though he was ignorant. That is why I did not let you touch her. Now return the man's wife, for he's a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not return her, you may be sure 
that you and all yours will die. So next morning, Abimelech summons all his officials and talks to Abram, says, what are you doing? And uh, Abram in verse 11 says, I said to myself, he said, why did you do this? There's surely no fear of God in this place. They'll kill me because of my wife. And then here's his little justification. Besides, she really is my sister. She's the daughter of my father, though not of my mother, and she became my wife. So figure that out later. And when God had made me wander from my father's house, so I, I said to her, this is how you can show love to me. Everywhere you go, say he's my brother. And so then Abimelech, look what he does. He brings all these presents. He brings wealth and gives him a great gift and says, go wherever you want in the land. And uh, in verse 17, it says, then Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech, his wife and his slave girls, so that they could have children again. For the Lord had closed up every womb in Abimelech's household because of Abraham's wife, Sarah. So you've got an issue right here in the family where there is a lack of trust in God. And so because of his lack of trust in God to keep him safe, to provide for him, Abraham says, I'm going to take matters into my own hands. Isn't that what lying is? You're, you're taking control into your own hands so the situation works out like you want it to work out. There's many reasons why we, people would be caused to lie, right? Some of it's fear, some of it's cover up something, some of it's to hide something, you know, but all of it so you can be in control of what's going on. Because there's not a trust there. If there's a trust in the Lord, you don't have to lie, right? You don't have to finagle things to work in your favor because He's already working in your favor. I've found that when I try to finagle things in my favor, it just never seems to work out quite as good as when He's you know, in his favor. doesn't seem to work good. So Abraham is still, you know, still didn't have that delivered from his life. He has, a, he has the promised son, Isaac. He hadn't had Isaac yet. So him and his wife then pass on. They have Isaac. Isaac grows up. And we read this last week, but I want us to go back to it again in, verse, in Genesis 26. I want you to know, you know, it's just very fascinating how what happens in the family. So now there was a famine in the land. That happened a lot back then. Besides the earlier famine in Abraham's time. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, in Gerar. And so the Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you. Stay in this land a while and I will be with you and I will bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. So basically what's God doing there? He's renewing the covenant. He's saying, look, everything I said to Abraham... I'm saying to you as his son, you get all the blessings, you get all the promises, it's to you too. It's, it wasn't just for him, it's, it's being passed to you. And so in verse 7, um, when, the men of, when the men of that place asked him about his wife, Isaac was married to Re- Rebekah, he said, she is my sister. <laughs> because he was afraid to say, she is my wife. He thought the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebecca because she is beautiful. Doesn't that really look familiar? <laughs> Looks real familiar. When Isaac had been there a long time, verse 8, it says, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from the window and saw Isaac caressing his sister. Oh, I mean his wife, Rebecca. And so Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, Hey, she's really your wife. <laughs> Why did you say she's my sister? And Isaac said, Because I thought I might lose my life on account of her. 
then says, what have, you know, Abimelech says, why have you done this? One of us might have slept with your wife and some, you brought guilt upon all of us. And so, you know, they plays out. Then guess what happens after that? Isaac goes off, he plants, and he's more blessed than everyone. He receives a hundredfold from his crops. He's just got the favor of God in his life. Yet he's failing in the same way that Abraham failed. You know, Jesus came to break any curse that would be passed down in our family line, in our generations. I think sometimes it just is, does it happen automatically? Well, no, I think it happens intentionally. I think the Holy Spirit intentionally directs us to deal with those things. Because what is a stronghold in our lives? What is it? It's ultimately believing a lie. As we've been studying on on Wednesday nights with Bill Johnson, one of the strongest things he says is that he says over and over again that the enemy has no power over us as believers in Jesus. The only way we give him power is to believe a lie. And the only way a lie gets empowered in our lives is if we believe it. And so that's what was happening in Abraham and then in Isaac. Hey, guess what? What happened in Isaac's kids? Anybody remember? Was there a lot of lying and deceit and cheating? Here's what happened in the third generation. It was no longer outside. It was inside the family. Jacob and Esau, there's the things going on. There's Jacob lying about all this stuff. There's, this, there's deceit between the, the mom and, and the kids and all this stuff. And so it's beginning to, it's beginning to bear fruit in their family because sin always gives birth to death and destruction. And so what, what happens in their family, it's no longer that they're just lying outside and it's affected other people. It's beginning to affect their own relationships within their own family. And see, that's what the enemy wants is for something to grow, 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 grow in our families. And God says, no, my grace is sufficient to to break that away, to free you from that, to change you. Because how does the grace of God do that in our lives? We We begin to believe the truth. We begin to experience the truth. If you're if you if your grandparents were in a lot of debt and then their kids were in a lot of debt and you start off in a lot of debt. You can recognize there's something at work in your family to keep you in debt. Because God says, I don't want you to be in debt. That's the grace of God. It's grace. It's not by works. It's the grace of God that enters our lives to free us from that. How do we get in debt? We believe a lie and we live out the lie. We believe the lie that somehow I need something that I don't have. And so I pay for it with money that I don't have yet. Because I'm not ultimately trusting God to be my provider. Isn't that what Abraham and Isaac were doing? They weren't trusting God, so they lied. You know, it's the same thing that happens. So I have to recognize what's going on in my life and say, Lord, I need your grace in this area of my life. God wants us to be partners with Him in walking out the freedom He's purchased for us. It's not that it's our performance. It's not that we do it. It's that God says, here, I want you to take this. And we get to take it. He empowers us so that it's not just Him doing everything for us, so that we get the power that He gives us to walk it out. And then we're victorious. We can help someone else too. But how, how does it work? It happens in decisions. It happens in choices. If it's, 
If the problem is debt, then you know what? You'll find yourself, you have to change the way you spend money. You can't just go to the altar and pray and say, Oh God, take this away. He says, here's how I take this away. I change you. I change the way you think. I give you grace to not think the same way as your parents thought. And when you begin to think the same way that I think, rather than the way you were raised to think, then you will walk in the freedom that is already there for you. Because the freedom is there. It's not that you need to be freed. It's you need to walk in the freedom that's already been purchased. John 8 and verse 32 says this, For you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. How do I find freedom? When I'm believing a lie, I need to experience the truth. What's the truth? What's the truth? Jesus is the truth. Good. John 14. Jesus says, we sang that song today, I think. You are the way, the truth, and the life. John 14. Jesus says, I am the truth. So the truth is a person. What else does the Bible say the truth is? Your word is truth. John 17, 17. You can shoot that one up there. I had it up there already, but you got it. Your word is truth. So the word of God is truth. What else is truth? This one's this one's a little bit harder to get. John 16, 13 says, But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, look, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He'll speak what he hears and he will tell you what's yet to come. So you see how, you know, Jesus is the truth. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. And who's the one that lives in us? The Holy Spirit. If you're a believer in Jesus, he sends his spirit to live in you. So now you have the one who is the truth leading you into the truth so that you can be free, so that you can walk in the grace of God. What is the truth? The truth is that I am a child of God. And so if I'm a child of God, then I don't need to be in bondage to anything from this world. That's the grace of God, that He gives us the Spirit, grace upon grace, so that we can walk free. And I think God, one of the ways God does this, He just partners with us. He gives us the tools. You know, sometimes you come to God and He just takes care of it, right? Have you ever had that happen? Where you just come to some God and He just, he just removes it from you. And there's other times where God says, no, we're going to walk this out. You need to know how to get out of this so you don't get back into it. Just, let's just use, I'm not trying to harp on the, the, the issue of debt. It was just an example that came to my mind. But let's just use that. If you take someone who's severely in debt and you just pay it off for them, what's going to happen? Most likely. They're going to get right back in unless something changes in their mind and heart and in their actions. And so God says, look, sometimes God is merciful. It's his mercy that says, I can't, I can't get you totally out of that right now. I need to teach you. I need to lead you into truth. I need you to follow me so that you know how to get out of there and you don't get back in there again. Maybe it's your family has always been one that blows up in anger at one another. And God says, my grace is sufficient where your house can be a house of peace. Maybe it's divorce that 
goes down through the generations where God says, I'm going I'm to break that in your family as you come to me. I'm going to give you the grace to have forgiveness and restoration and healing and break that thing and say, no, we're not going to have that anymore in my family. What happens when you overcome something? Your kids receive the blessing of your victory. I know that. I've received it from my parents. Did they, did they overcome everything in their lifetime? Well, my dad's still alive. <laughs> did my mom overcome everything in her lifetime? No, probably not. I don't know. She seemed pretty perfect to me. But I'm sure there was something that, that wasn't there. But here's the deal. I received a blessing because I was born into a family that was already walking in the grace of God. See, it was meant to bless the generations. God says, hey, look, all this stuff that's passed down from the generations, it's a twisting of what I meant to be a blessing from the fathers to the children to the grandchildren to their children to walk in the grace and the blessing and the favor of God. I mean, God modeled that with Abraham's family. Again, it wasn't their performance. He was, look, I gave the promise to Abraham. Hey, you know what, Isaac? You have all the favor too. You've got the grace. You've got the, you've got the blessings. You've got the promise. What happened? Boom, Jacob, you've got the blessings. You've got the promise. Twelve sons. You've got the blessing. You've got the promise. Turns into the people of Israel. The blessing. You've got the promise. Turns into Jesus, the one that we, they, he was wanting to bring. The blessing and the promise. Now, who does it go to? The descendants, the other family members, the children of God, the sons of the kingdom, the sons and daughters of God. Grace upon grace. So my encouragement to you is, number one, allow the Holy Spirit, allow the Holy Spirit. This is the key right here. The Spirit of truth leads us into all truth. So that doesn't mean we don't go on a, on a search mission to search out something bad in us, okay? Because that always ends badly, right? If, if you want to find something wrong with yourself, do you think you could? <laughs> Probably so, okay? So here, here's the deal. I don't want to be in control of what God is dealing with right now. God says, no, I know, what, I know what to deal with right now. It's probably something you're not thinking of. Aren't those the best things when God comes to you and, and reveals something to you? And you're like, oh, gosh, I didn't even know that was in my life. And he says, it's not anymore. We're going to take care of that. We're going to walk you through that. Here's, here's some tools. Here's some truth. Here's some, here's some scriptures to walk you through that. So number one is allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. You don't have to go on a search mission. It's not go home and say, okay, get with your, get with your spouse or kids. Like, let's try to figure out all the things wrong in our family that we've seen in, in the rest of our family. Don't do that. <laughs> First of all, it could be depressing, right? <laughs> Second of all, you want the Holy Spirit to lead you into that truth. So just pray and ask the Lord. Just be open to what the Holy Spirit is saying. And He might, through this message or through something else you've read or heard, He begins to show you, hey, look at this. You've seen this happening, and God says, yep, I want to deal with that. I want you to be free with that. And you know what? Your kids or your grandkids are not going to have to go through what you've gone through because you're, you're taking care of it right now. And I would encourage you, how do you, because most of the time, all those things, every single sin ultimately boils down to believing a lie. That's how the first sin came into the world, was believing a lie. 
There's, there's some lie that's being believed and we empower the lie when we, when we embrace that lie and then we walk in a way that we didn't want to walk. And so getting connected with the truth, the person of the truth, the spirit of truth in us, and the word that's the truth is the way to freedom. You know, if you're, if you're struggling with anger and you feel like the Holy Spirit's saying, We're, it's, it's time for this to change. It's time for my grace to be sufficient in your weakness. That's what God says, my grace is sufficient. So here's what I would do. I would say, hey, start with looking through the Scriptures. Look at the Scriptures that talk about anger, but also look at the Scriptures that talk about peace, that t- talk about rest, that talk about trust. You know, all the, all the opposites of, you know, that talk about um, faith, you know. Because there, there's many things that cause anger to rise up in us. It could be fear. It could be, uh, you know, disappointment or shame. It could be all kinds of different reasons. But we need to find, ultimately, is the peace of God. Jesus, the promised one, says, I'm going to give you peace that can't be taken from you. So if I have peace that can't be taken from me, then there's no reason I ever have to blow up, right? Because the peace can't be taken from me. I can choose not to walk in it, but it's not taken from me. Jesus is my peace I give to you. It's there. So that in the presence of God, by the Spirit in me, I have grace upon grace. That's just an example. So I encourage you, because I, I think God wants to, most of the time, God wants to partner with us. There's sometimes God says, I, you, you're, not, you're never going to figure out how to get out of here, so I'm just going to take care of that, and we're just going to move on. And that's awesome when that happens. Praise the Lord for that. Sometimes he just does that. We need to jump from here to here, boom. But a good percentage of the time, I don't want to say what it is, a good percentage of the time he says, we're going to walk through this. And so it's not that you get the answer from the sermon on Sunday, it's you get the answer by getting with the Spirit of God on your own. And he begins to lead you into all truth. Not just some truth, he leads you into all truth. Because I don't want a partial truth, a partial truth is a whole lie. I want all the truth living and operating within me. Amen? Amen. All right. So let's stand. That's, that's what I have for you this morning to receive. But I encourage you, get, let the Holy Spirit, if He highlights it right now or if He highlights it throughout this week, He wants to see His grace manifest in a fuller way. So, Father, we just thank You for Your, your presence right now by Your Spirit, Holy Spirit. We, we welcome You here. Lord, You've been here. You've been moving among us. And so we welcome You to speak to each and every heart. We welcome You to move in our hearts. We welcome You to lead us into truth. We know that as we walk and experience and breathe in and live the truth, that the truth will set us free. And so we thank you for freedom. We thank you that you provided for freedom. We thank you that you're full of grace and truth, God, that you have an unending supply that that we cannot use it up, Lord. And we can also, that means we can't experience enough of it. There is more grace for us to experience because you're still full. And we want to experience grace upon grace. Lord, we pray and thank you in advance for things being being dissolve from our family line spiritually, Lord, that we can see our our spiritual family trees change from this point on, God. And we thank you, Lord, even at a young age, Lord, even if we're not having families of our own, God, that we can begin to take this truth of your word, take the truth of walking in your spirit, and you can free us before we have kids, God. We thank you for that, God. We thank you for what you're doing. 
Holy Spirit, come and minister truth. We are trusting you to lead us into all truth. We want to follow you, God. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be blessed. We need help setting up. And Honduras team, come on up real quick before we start setting up.